2: On topic on this project.
0: Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Unstruct. From within your walls, hear the story behind how your building stands today.
1: So similar to using DNA to recover ancestry, we're using LiDAR in order to uncover hidden truths that are revealed by the land. So we're doing that at the Julian Pioneer Cemetery, which is an area here in San Diego County that was known as a white rural community, but it has black and indigenous roots. The first man to find gold there was a black man. And that's what started the influx into the area. That loss of that history, people just still attribute that to being a white area. It's like, oh, no, no, we were there too. We started that. So let's talk about it.
0: Welcome
3: to Tangible Remnants. I'm Nikita Reed, and this is my show where I explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. I'm excited that you're here. So let's get into it. Welcome back. I'm excited to share this episode, which is the first in a series of episodes focused on various projects around the country, that are doing interesting work at the intersection of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. I'm choosing to define a project as any endeavor to bring about change, and I'm not limiting it to just buildings. The series will feature a range of projects, from creating a master plan for an artist home in Baltimore, to raising awareness about women designers around the world, to reconstructing a home to honor a freed man in Virginia. I'll be rolling the episodes out in between the usual practitioner interviews over the next few months. Today's episode is with the visionary Shelley Baxter of Our Genetic Legacy. As stated on their website, the legacy, culture, and contributions of Black, Indigenous, and people of color, BIPOC, Americans, is missing from the official storyline of the founding of America due to the historical dehumanization and erasure of BIPOC Americans. Our Genetic Legacy, OGL creates projects that expose and publish lost family legacies of BIPOC Americans in order to diversify, correct, and expand the current history of America to include all Americans. Shelly Baxter is a genetic genealogist, and this is the first time that we chatted, so it was fascinating to learn more about the work that she's doing. From exploring your DNA, to discovering your personal history, to architecture design contests, and training the next generation of drone pilots in LIDAR technology— Shelly talks through how all of these items work together. We jump around a little bit, but hang with us through the conversation, and all will be illuminated. As usual, there's a bunch of amazing resources in the episode show notes, including more information about Shelly and our genetic legacy, so be sure to check those out. Also, if you enjoy the podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review or connect with me on Instagram, at Tangible Remnants. I really hope this episode encourages you to keep following your interests and in creating the projects you want to see in the world. And so, without further ado, I hope you enjoy this conversation with me and Shelly Baxter. So we're just going to jump right on in. Why okay. don't you talk a little bit about what prompted you to start our genetic legacy?
1: So in 2015, my youngest child was in her senior year of high school. I'd been a stay-at-home mom, and it was time to like figure out you know, what's mom going to do. And so I took advantage of the opportunity. And when I dropped her off at UCLA, I headed back to UC Berkeley. And at that time I was a genetic genealogist. And so I had been doing my research. I was self-taught and had been doing the research for my own family because my goal was to do all the research, have a book and give a book to each of my children to let them know this is who you are. And then just like 15 years of research and I still can't complete that book. So I went back to Berkeley it worked out that the major I had picked when I was young was interdisciplinary studies field. And it was all about representation and representation in media and films. So it was easy to transition that to the genealogy and the search that I had been conducting for my third great grandmother, because I have her name, but I can't find anything else about her. Mm-hmm. And just really coming out of that and then trying to figure out, like, well, how can I make a job out of what I love to do, which is a genealogy and, you know, what are the roadblocks and... Just having like done all of this work, spent all this time and money and realizing that most black people, indigenous people of color, we don't have the time or the resources to do the work. And the Ancestry commercials make it seem like, oh, $99, right. you know, send in the sample, yeah. click the leaves and then suddenly, you know, the lights will dim, the movie will play <laughs> and here comes your whole history and realizing that that's not the case and the population that I'm most directly affect it by that are the least likely to spend that kind of money or that kind of time Mm -hmm. and so I wanted to create programs to be able to teach us how to do our own research and it just has continued to grow into where now you know we're conducting these youth programs we're going to be national next year international the year after um, building this museum just the architecture and now starting to influence policy in terms of how schools teach history. And it just continues to grow. And I just feel like, you know, everything that has happened in my life has set up for this moment. The buy-in from those, like yourself and people when they hear about it, they're like, oh yes right (laughs) yeah let's go and so that is the question
3: that i had because when i was coming across or rather when i found you via our black women architecture facebook group i was intrigued because i have a sense of okay what a geologist does Mm and genetics i have a sense of that but talk a little bit more about a genetic genealogist because that's where i was like oh that is a fascinating combination of words together
1: (laughs) right you know we're so disconnected from our roots and not just from enslavement, but from post enslavement name changes, family dynamics, we just we don't have all that connection, even though in my family, we know a lot like I know back to my second great grandparents. I have pictures of my second great grandparents. But I still can't say where we come from,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, other than to say Africa in general, but like you know what that line is, When did we get to America? You know, all that history has been lost. And the only way for us to recover it is using the DNA. Hmm. And so the power of my programs and teaching STEAM is that it's our tool, not our driver. The story is the driver. It's like, I have no STEAM identity even now. Like I'm a drone pilot, I'm doing the organization, I'm doing all these things, but my driver is the story Mm -hmm. and to be able to publish those histories. And so with the genetics that has allowed me to actually connect to a number of unknown family members and also to be able to prove some of the connections for the paper trail. Because when there's a lack of paper, then you have nothing to follow. So you can only go by what you know.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, you know, when you're following the trees, following the paper trails, the traditional genealogy, you'd be amazed at how many people have the exact same name in the exact same location <laughs> of your family. So like my first tree was just all wrong. Like we were related to the queen, you know, I basically taken us back to Jesus, <laughs> but just music, <laughs> <it. laughs> but I was just following the names right. and you know, you see the name, like, and you see the progression, and you just keep clicking leaves and creating this huge tree. When the DNA came out and it became affordable, it was like, Oh, okay. You know, tested my parents and started like not seeing that it wasn't matching up. Like, wait, hold on, like we're royalty. Like I don't understand why we're not connecting to this person or that person. Mm -hmm. And you just start realizing like the reality of life dynamics and how that impacts legacy and lineage and the definition of family. A lot of what we do is expand the definition of family, especially as black people we understand, you know, the aunt, aunties, aunties and the aunties. uncles aunties. and the yep. cousins, like, you know, everybody yep. you grow up with, you know, my kids have 5,000 aunties. I have 10,000 nieces and nephews mm-hmm. anywhere I go. And so we understand that dynamic, but then we start getting to the biological and the non-biological. And then right. that becomes a little trickier for people when it's in their immediate family. And so a lot of what the work that I do is, you know, explain to people like, The DNA and the biology, it's just a piece of it. It doesn't take away from whatever your situation is. It just adds to it. And sometimes it's just information. Sometimes it's relationships. You get to control that. Mm -hmm. So sometimes people will get anxious about doing the DNA and, oh, what am I going to do with all these cousins? You don't have to do a thing with them. (laughs) They can live in the ancestry message board. It does not mean they're coming over for dinner unless that's what you want. But you can now have that information to pass on to, you know, your heirs. And you can also do that deep research to find out how this happened. To you know, find some of those generational traumas and curses and how that has played out in your family. And once you start to study it, you can start to change it. You can't change what you don't know or what you don't acknowledge. And that allows you to have that distance Mm -hmm. to be able to look at it and not feel so personal about it, but then to be able to connect it and then to make changes. So it's just a an amazing opportunity yeah, to change trajectories.
3: Yeah. And so I'm intrigued by it because, so I haven't done any of the ancestry anything. Oh. I know just from things that I've learned from my grandmothers on both sides, because I'm fortunate enough that both of my maternal and paternal grandparents were alive until recently. And actually I still have both of my grandmothers. All the women on my mother's side had children really young. So mm-hmm. I got to grow up with my grandmother's grandmother. As well, mm. so it's like my okay. she great didn't great grandmother. Great, yeah, she didn't die until I was second year in college. So oh, wow, yeah. You so really knew her, knew her exactly, okay. and so. And I know, so I know some of that family on my dad's side. I know some of that family, but I also know there's been like a fear of what if I give my DNA away or what happens then? And can't someone use my DNA to plant it out of the crime scene? And like all of the random things <laughs> that I'm sure you've heard from people and all the different tests and things that have come out. So I guess for anyone who is curious, when you give your DNA away, what typically happens or what results do you get back from like Ancestry or any of those ones?
1: So the way that Ancestry works is that it's only compared you against other people who have tested. Okay. So that's the purpose of like testing with more than one site is because it's only got to be against their customer database. Ancestry is the largest and it's the most user-friendly platform. So it's the reason why I always recommend it first, not because it's the best per se, it's the best of what we have because there's a lot of functionality that we don't get that they have access to that would especially help african Americans and other really everybody but african-americans i feel especially because of the unique circumstances that have been created by and the disconnection created by enslavement mm-hmm. but you do that and you know so you create your tree you get a set of dna matches and it's at varying levels based on the level, the number of centimorgans, CMs. That's how they measure chromosome. That's the unit of measurement. So mm-hmm. it's to inches, it's centimorgans, CMs. The more CMs, obviously, the closer the relationship. So your first to second cousin, you know, close family to first and second cousins. Generally, if you know your you know, your lineage, you'll be able to figure it out. Even if you don't know your lineage, you can figure that out because you can find what is the common denominator between this group of people.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you can always come to each should be able to eventually come to the grandparent line and then you have to figure out which one of those children
3: um,
1: is the actual direct descendant because the way that the different levels of lineage go is based on grandparent levels. Parent levels come in after that, but you know, you know who your grandparents are. Mm -hmm. So in doing that, you just start to build your tree and you start to connect these different DNA cousins and you and start incorporating the information that they have in their tree into your tree. And you start to build and it just continues to expand out. And it also gives you the ability to prove certain lines. So for African-Americans, especially when you're trying to get past enslavement, you have to know where you connect to a European family Mm -hmm. to know at what point your family line you know, became in the States, gives you a place to look. And so with my father's line, I've actually been able to connect to two of his white lines, fourth great grandfathers, white great grandfathers, who were, presumably, who were enslavers, not presumably, they were enslavers, but they had unusual relationships on paper, at least with my third great grandfather, where they lived next door to each other, Huh even after enslavement. So then you're like, so... What was that like? And another one, my third grade grandmother is living in the house with who I'm assuming was her former master huh. and his current wife <laughs> and their kids. I was oh. like, oh, this must have been great. Right. You imagine the dynamics of that household, what that was like. Um, and that's, you know, 1870, 1880. So it's post enslavement, but these are the relationships that still came out of that. So I'm always. I'm still processing. Like, I've only found that information in the past year. Um, Mm -hmm. It has, I've been able to, you know, conclude because I connected directly to a white known descendant on both of those lines. Just the dynamics of like knowing, like, and having that added history. It's like, I'm going to join the Daughters of the American Revolution. Not because I care about the Daughters of the American Revolution. You know, I don't know. That's probably not a good thing to say, but it's true. But I'm going to do it because I can. Right. (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) right. Why wouldn't you? Like, that's mm-hmm. part of my, you got to take some good from it. So mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, you know what, well, why would you want to know? Like, people like you know, oh, I don't want to know how I connect to white people. I don't want to know this. or I don't want to know that. I think we have choices. You get to mm-hmm. take the pieces that you want. So I can say that, you know, my fourth-grade grandfather went to West Point in 1848. He was digging for gold here in California mm-hmm. and then went back to Arkansas with my 3rd great grandfather, and they were, actually have a Freedmen's Bureau record. So they had a contract where they were in business together. He was paying him legitimately to be contracted. Mm -hmm. And they lived next door to each other. And when he died, that's where his last home was, living next door to my third great-grandfather. So it's just like I was in my mind. You know, you can romanticize it. You know, you fantasize, trying to figure out what was that relationship that he stayed close to him. Despite, but then also knowing he fought for the Confederacy. so he fought to protect slavery. You know, to protect Mm -hmm. protect slavery. So you're just like the dynamics of that, the the stories, and those are the types of drivers that, like, good, bad, or otherwise, it is, and it had to be for me to be. Mm -hmm. So I don't spend a lot of time focusing on the what ifs and all of that because. It was. That would mean, but but it was, and doing that just means I wouldn't be. So, yes. like, if it was different, it, everything would be different. We can't just pick the parts that are different. Like, it would be different just in this way, but I would still be me. No, not so much. <laughs> right. That ain't how it works.
3: Right. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel about telling the floor history of all the different historic places and all that sort of stuff. It's like acknowledging what happened doesn't change history. just, it's illuminates more of it. So it's like, why pretend things didn't happen? Let's just be honest about it and be inclusive and keep it moving.
1: Exactly. Like, you know, we spend all this time like gatekeeping and protecting and to do all these different things. For what? Because it still happened. Right, exactly. (laughs) It still happened. (laughs) It doesn't make it any less true. Exactly. You know, it spends a lot of time Creating a narrative that, you know, at the end of the day, makes it more likely to perpetuate or to repeat right. those same mistakes because we've never dealt with it. We've been so busy hiding it that we keep exactly that work to keep hiding it. And it's just like, let's just, just right. tell it. Just, right.
3: Let's acknowledge it and move on. Like right, cause we you would, can't move on until you do. Exactly, exactly. It's like we we would be so much further along as a civilization if everyone had the opportunity to thrive, as opposed to trying to gatekeep yes. some of the history, keep other people out, keep other people down. Like it's just, it's exhausting, I'm just like I would yes. so much rather like ex, expose it and let's move on. And so I'm super. That's one of the reasons why I'm super drawn to the work that you're doing. And it's like I'm still, you know, still wrapping my head around the DNA piece of it, but I'll get there. It, 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 it,
1: it, The other part about the DNA is that when you watch it on TV and stuff and they're like, oh, we just put it in a family database and now we've caught the killer. That's not how it
0: works.
1: There was a moment where I thought that's where it was going. And that's what I actually started focusing on cemeteries and dead people for a couple of years. That's really how the drone project came to be at the time when I was first starting the organization, figuring out how I was going to do it. That's from the DNA. Mm -hmm. It's becoming, I was like, "Eh, you know, that's not what I'm testing people for. Mm-hmm. Testing people for this purpose, and now for you for this other purpose, I need to, you know, back up on that. Right. But it takes a lot more evidence than just putting in a database; they match, and now that person's going to jail for life. Gotcha. But there's still the whole court process and all of that that has to happen, and you can opt out of that research.
3: Okay. And so let's take a step back. Though you said you're working doing DNA on dead people.
1: So no, that's like one of the.
3: I'm like, wait no. a minute. <laughs>
1: No, I had been doing genealogy. And then, you know, one of my, I, I always was walking around with, you know, DNA tests everywhere I go, send it to family members, different lines. But one of the other, when that was coming about, I was like, I don't know where this is going. So I can't keep asking people to do DNA tests. Right. So what is the other roadblock to research? And that was not knowing where some relatives were interred, but, you know, their final resting place, because that oftentimes will tell you where to go look for information Mm-hmm. in terms of the courthouse and people and things like that. So I just started focusing on dead people instead of DNA.
3: Got you. Okay.
1: And that's okay. when the drone project first started. Thank yeah. you for that clarity. You know, I
3: was <laughs> like, wait a minute. I'm not quite sure.
1: But now there are some opportunities that I'm hoping to come up where there's specifically like Nate Harrison, who is the first black landowner in San Diego County, one of the areas that the girls will be mapping. He has no known descendants. Mm-hmm. He's buried here in Mount Hope, which is a local cemetery. We know he wanted to be buried on the mountain, but he'd gotten sick and came, agreed to come down into San Diego for medical care, passed away, and they ended up burying him in the local cemetery instead of taking him back to the mountain Mm. where he lived. And so the woman who currently owns it, she would like for him to be reinterred on the mountain. Okay. In the meantime, nephew has appeared. Interesting. And so there's no way to prove that without the DNA. So hoping to be, if that comes about, that he is exhumed and, you know, re, reburied up on the mountain, mm-hmm. that we would do that DNA so that we can figure out what that lineage is.
3: Gotcha. And so I'm realizing we should take, we should talk a little bit more about the drone project because I realized yes. I <laughs> probably have no idea what that is. So yeah, I'll just let you run with it.
1: The drone project is Descendants Recovering Our Names and has evolved into a workforce development program for teen BIPOC girls, where they work as digital historic preservationists. And as part of that work, they become licensed drone pilots skilled in the use of LIDAR. Because we, once again, we're talking about the use of technology. So similar to using DNA to recover ancestry, we're using LIDAR in order to uncover hidden truths that are revealed by the land. So the LIDAR allows us to create an image of the Earth's surface that's invisible to the naked eye. So in Guatemala, when they found the Lost Mayan Ruins, they mapped all that with LIDAR because you can see the patterns and indentations in the land, you can figure out where buildings used to be. So we're doing that at the Julian Pioneer Cemetery, which is an area here in San Diego County that is known as a white rural community. Mm -hmm. But it has Black and Indigenous roots. The first man to find gold there was a Black fan. Hmm. And that's what started the influx into the area. And so that loss of that history, people just still attribute that to being a white area. It's like, oh, no, no. We were there, too. We started that. So let's talk about it. Yeah. So we have 16 girls in the program. It's a year-long program. Right now, they're working on licensing and museum development. Because ultimately they'll be creating exhibits from the imagery that they take, but it's gonna live in our online museum. This is where the architecture comes in because right. it's a virtual museum because I didn't want to deal with the red tape of a physical museum or memorial markers, you know, just all of that. I just didn't want to take that time at this point because it's more important to me that we get this out there and then it also be accessible not just to our local community, but on a global scale. So we started the architecture contest to design the physical, you know, or the the visual of the museum and we're going to operate it as a physical museum. So it'll have the exhibits, it'll have conferences and different things like that. We want sponsors to yeah. you know
2: imagine earning continuing education credits while doing exactly what you're doing right now. Well, you can. Cable Media has revolutionized the way you earn your continuing education credits with a groundbreaking approach. Forget running around town and scouring the internet for credit-worthy courses. Fulfill your CE requirements effortlessly by listening to engaging podcasts just like the one you're listening to now. Our podcasts are designed to educate, entertain, and inspire, all in a user-friendly environment. But wait, there's more architects, Gable Media is also approved as an AIA continuing education services provider. Upon completion, we handle everything from reporting your hours directly to the AIA to storing your certificates in your personal Gable Media profile for your self-reporting needs. So follow the link in the show notes and start earning your credits in the most innovative and entertaining way possible with Gable Media. Want to learn more about the unknown ladies of architecture? Then I recommend you listen to She Builds Podcast, where we tell the stories of remarkable women who have shaped the design and construction industries. Hi, I'm Jessica. I'm Nurjiti. And I'm
1: Lizzie. After we graduated from Syracuse University School of Architecture, we set
3: out to learn and share the untold stories of women that traditional school curriculum left out. One day, there's an announcement on campus that women had been seen wearing, quote, inappropriate clothing. Gasp! What the heck does that mean? Yeah, so it turns out that Ruth and her fellow classmates were these women. They had field classes where they're doing welding, forging, and foundry work. And obviously, they have to wear jeans to those classes instead of like dresses or whatever else.
0: While Gertie was in school, she wasn't just going to classes, trying to stay alive like some of us. I know that was me in school, just taking it day by day. Yes. But not Gertie. She became the president of Evigol, an honorary association of Cornell women architects. Of course she did. These are stories not taught in schools. Women who've molded
3: the world of architecture, construction, and development for over a century.
2: From Jane Jacobs to Ray Eames, She Builds Podcast explores the legacies of
1: trailblazers. Subscribe now on your favorite podcast platform.
0: Let's fill the gaps in history together. All you have to do is follow the link in the show notes and subscribe and be part of a movement to expand industry narratives.
3: And so I was intrigued by this because it's a design competition and basically the museum's going to live in metaverse. Yes. We're going to create
1: our own neighborhood in the metaverse. Yes. yes.
3: Yes. So I know you said it was more so like the red tape and all that sort of thing. But I'm curious, have you seen other competitions that were doing this as well? Or what prompted that route? Because it's intriguing to me.
1: (laughs) So it wasn't so much that a museum part, but design contest, because I don't have an architecture background. But in, you know, starting to do the research for the museum, you start, you know, realize like, oh, there's a such thing as design competitions. Oh, that's perfect because I want to build this community, and one of the things that the organization does is also acknowledge the fact that colonization, the biggest thing that people of color lost was generational wealth. I mean, in addition to life, but it was generational wealth and the, you know and the information, like knowing who they are. So by creating it as a workforce development program and starting to create partnerships with corporations and schools to actually put our students directly on path to having high wage earning jobs we're correcting some of that damage we're putting you now we're changing the trajectory to try and restore some of that generational wealth and as part of that with the design contest that's why i put in some of the specific requirements that bipoc woman has to be on the team so it could be a team of up to four it must include a bipoc woman so a bipoc woman can do it by herself if she chooses to but if it's a team it must be led by a BIPOC woman. I think I put like 18 to 26 as an age range, because this is part of, you know, the mission and the mandate to try and create opportunities that don't exist and give them this global platform and this resume building experience that they can actually build us. So like while we're building the organization, I'm also giving back to the participants in a way that's tangible and will try to restore some of what's been lost, but to change that trajectory.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's particularly since the age range, it's definitely going to be more of a student-led thing because you know, most people don't become licensed architects till late 20s, early 30s, but the fact that it's a virtual metaverse thing, that's perfect. So I'll make sure to put links to that in the show notes and all of that. So all of mm-hmm. our student <laughs> listeners can also take, take a look at it. You have plenty of time to submit and it mm-hmm. sounds like it's really going to be a great a great contest. content. Right. And, the, and the there's a ten thousand
1: dollar prize. Oh yeah, and there's,
3: there's a t- there, there's that little piece. Yes,
1: and we're gonna make it worth your while. You know, not for not. So there's an entrance fee. I think it's two hundred fifty dollars, but you get you know, the opportunity to win ten thousand and also to be featured on this global platform that we're building. I think it's you know it's a good opportunity and it's a good stepping stone to that next level because a lot of times when you're new into certain industries. That's the hardest part is getting your foot in the door, you know, getting people to recognize you and what you can do. And so that's why I designed the contest in that way, because I wanted to specifically provide that opportunity the same way that we're providing to our other youth in the programs.
3: Yeah, that's fantastic. And so getting back to the drone project for a second, I love that you've turned it into a workforce development program. I also love the fact that you're focusing on drone technology because drones are doing everything these days from delivering blood in Rwanda to actually helping. I know there's some drones now at Penn that they're using drones as like swarmer carpenter bees to build pieces and to see what that turns into. So Mm -hmm. there's definitely going to be many future jobs in the Mm -hmm. drone space. So I love that you're preparing these young people for that World, which is so exciting, but I guess how did you land on drone training or putting that program together?
1: It just really evolved.
3: Part of it started. So when I first beta tested
1: the program, was a little bit further back. I thought drones were toys with cameras when when I first came up with the idea. Okay, (laughs) so it was like, oh, that'll be a great way, you know, to cover a large area easily. I'll just, you know. Go to the store, pick one up, and it'll be easy. It'll be great. And doing research, I like which drone to buy. They start talking about licensing and this other. I was like, wait, what? Okay, it's a little deeper than I thought, but you know, this is what I'm doing. So let's Mm -hmm. go. I watched videos for three days straight on (laughs) YouTube. I had never touched a drone in my life, and signed myself up for the test. Love to go get licensed, went and got my license. So became a licensed drone pilot before I ever touched a drone. Then it was like, okay, now I got to get, you know, drones, the good drone, because I need a good drone, because I don't want a little drone. I need a good drone. Right. Those are like, you know, 2500 Like, oh, no, we're going to get the money for that. Okay, let me figure that out. Because at mm-hmm. that point, I was still figuring out what I was going to do. A business, I was going to be a profit, nonprofit, all that organization. So then go to Alabama, because I just, at that time, All the history is in the South, you know, everything about enslavement is in the South, and that's where my family is from. So, you know, I'm gonna start at home, Mm -hmm. go to Alabama to map it, and I realized there's a lot of trees here. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So, putting the drone overhead wasn't gonna work out if all I'm looking at are treetops. Right. And then going to like some of the, you know, some of our family cemeteries that are there where we have members buried. Seeing tree cover, like, you know, where the the cemetery itself is maintained, nice mm-hmm. and clean. Okay, we can see who the people are. But then looking at the outskirts into the trees, I swear I can see headstones hmm. in those trees. And I'm like, there's no way to get to them because, you know, I'm a city girl from San Diego, California. That's fair. There's no right, reason like- to even go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no- we, we don't go tracing off into, you know, right. the locals
3: are going into those trees. Neither am right. I. Right. Especially in the South and Alabama by yourself. Absolutely not.
1: Yeah. Not <laughs> happening. Mm-mm. Watch way too much TV. Too yep. many, you know, criminalized. <laughs> We're not doing any of yep. that. Not trying to do National Geographic. Mm-hmm. Any of those things. So really, I needed a LiDAR drone. Like even in Africatown. And we also drove over to Africa Town and... Over that cemetery, I swear I could see headstones in those trees. Awesome. So that's what I realized. Like, okay, how can I figure that? out? first, I'm thinking like a robot that could go in there, and and I realized there's lidar. Wow. Okay, but then there's obviously the roadblock. Lidar, lidar drone is sixty five to seventy five thousand dollars. Oh. Right. Wow. But then I wanted lidar and. GPR, which is ground penetrating radar, because you know that exists, and I want that too. Mm-hmm. So now we're looking at you know a hundred thousand dollar drone. Wow! And the training for that isn't even in the United States. It was a foreign country whose name I can't even still pronounce. It starts with an L. Mm-hmm. But I start looking at plane tickets. Okay, well, how much will that cost? <laughs> let me figure this out. You know, right. this whole thing. It's like okay, let me while I'm figuring out how to get the money for that. That's when I went back. You know, the DNA had kind of settled down. Mm -hmm. So I went back to the DNA and the history makers workshop and started building that. And then came to the point this past year, it was time to put everything together. Like all the pieces are beta tested. Now it's time to go. Nice. But realizing I couldn't do all the work by myself. I couldn't afford to go to Alabama. So like, as part of the funding. How can we grow our own workforce Mm -hmm. to be able to do this work as nobody locally is doing this. Mm -hmm. And then who's most likely to be able to do that. So dealing with the, so it became a natural thing to use the youth. Because it gives them job skills and they're already accustomed to doing work without being paid, you know, in order for the promise of to be paid later. And so mm-hmm. then I was like, you know, but I don't want to take advantage of the situation. So let me make it a per- paid workforce development program because really some of the unique circumstances that many of our BIPOC girls face, where they have to work. Yeah. They have to contribute to the income of the home. They can't participate Right. A lot of these opportunities because of the impact that it has on their schedule and their ability mm. to earn money. And to realize that in the area that I'm first, you know, like the Black community in San Diego, largely in this underserved area, the average income is $34,000 a year. Wow. And that's for with like four to five members of the family living in that house. Wow. That's the whole house. That's the whole house in San Diego, California, where you can't rent a Barbie shed, for right? Under, you know, two three thousand dollars a month. Wow. So the average income projection for many of it, it's called the Promise Zone. It's a federally designated area that they're concentrating services in. Seventeen thousand dollars is the average annual salary of an individual.
3: That's wild. And- that in twenty twenty two, that is still an annual salary, particularly yes. in California. San-
1: and said, "Right, yeah, where wow, it's a bargain if you find a house for five hundred thousand these days, right, right." And that's not the norm. The average, I think, is like seven fifty, and that's not a huge house in the mm-hmm. best neighborhood. That's like basic now, right? You have to move into the outskirts. There's a lot of growth in the outskirts, often to like the desert lands and things, trying to expand out because you can't afford to live in the city. So, being able to, you know, provide that opportunity to actually give them job skills that will on a low end, prepare them for 60 to 70,000. And really because of all the extra skills higher than that. Mm-hmm. So just the ability to train one girl to be able to change yes. the entire dynamic of that family. It just, you know, it made sense. But right. so it's just part of that whole things just keep rolling into each other. And I always say like, you know, well, the ancestors haven't given it to me yet. So I have like, this wall in front of me, I have a lot of pictures of, you know, various ancestors in my mm-hmm. family. And so they watch me and I'll be like, okay, you know, some days, like when I'm getting a little slow, trying to figure something, I'm like, hey, y'all, what you got? Like, right. I need it. <laughs> right. I, I need the moment. Like, I'm feeling like I'm hitting a wall, but now it's like, they're flooding me. So be careful what you ask for, because I honestly can't keep up with just the progression of where we're going. Like, I'm going to Africa in November.
3: Oh, my goodness. Um, what part?
1: to Accra and to Kumazi. Oh, amazing. Well, save travels. That's, oh, that's going to be such a great yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's like, but that's to set up for taking a group of girls in 2024. Got it. Okay. So it's just like, and working with the girl guides in Ghana, which is the equivalent of their Girl Scout. So to bring drones, mm-hmm. you know, just because someone I met up with, I, you know, solved our post. Right. Reached out. She runs a drone program in Philadelphia. And she was like, oh my God, you know, I'm so in love with this. And Right. He's like, okay, well, let's figure out how we could partner. And then I was like, well, you know, I'm going to Africa because I, you know, I want to take the girls to Africa. She's like, oh, I know one of the directors of, you know, the girls' guide. I'm like, oh, perfect because I needed to hook up with some girls yeah. there because I want yeah. to do that, you know, international. And it just continuously has grown just organically and continues to spread. And I'm just long for the ride and trying to keep up and get enough actual professionals in these different fields to fill. These spaces that I can create, you know, the need, Mm -hmm. but the actual fulfillment is what has, you know, me reaching out on various Facebook groups, what museum groups have been extremely receptive and helpful, architecture, just everything, just writing and let's go
3: yes this is fantastic (laughs) this is fantastic and so then i know that this has to be you know you're building the network you're building the organization are there any ways that our listeners could help are there any like fundraising campaigns or donations or how how can we help because this mission is amazing so funding obviously
1: dealing with technology technology is not cheap we just got our first drone fleet this county of san diego invested heavily into the program. They gave us a six-figure grant. Nice. Yeah. Our first big grant that we even wrote for, we got. And so that allowed us to get our drone fleet. And because we're not just licensing the girls, we're also training them to become expert flyers. Okay. So they fly eight hours a month with a flight trainer. So because a lot of programs, you know, they just teach you how to become a pilot, but they don't teach you how to become an expert flyer. They don't teach you the LIDAR. So our LIDAR training, the reason why we're able to do that is we have a corporate sponsor who's training the girls in the LIDAR and giving us access to that LIDAR drone until we can afford our own. So funding, we're starting October. We're doing a social media campaign fundraising. So please follow us at Our Genetic Legacy on all platforms, but on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, we will be doing basically crowdfunding, just sharing the posts, urging people to create their own fundraisers for us. We're going to have contests where we give out, you know, Mer that the girls wear. The girls call themselves historians. So I love,
3: <laughs> I love it.
1: I love it. I love it. I mean, and that's something I that a group of 16-year-old girls, 16 16- to 18-year-old girls chose. So okay. I was like, you know, you guys, what are we going to call ourselves? I kind of wanted to be the fly girls because I was having like an in living color moment. Yes, and 1990s. I- fly I drones, right. You know? yeah. And so I'm telling them that. And we did a little poll in a boat and they came with the historians. And I was like, you know what, you guys, you're right. That's my bad. I <laughs> I was in my own feelings about being a fly girl, but they get it. Right. And so being able to share that merchandise. So really a lot of it is just funding. And because of the opportunities that we're providing, and especially as a new nonprofit, our budget is high. Okay. You know, we have a half million dollar budget and we haven't hit it, but we, we've come halfway. Awesome. So we have been making great progress, but yeah, we just need the public's help, volunteers. And as part of our campaign, we're also creating an international network A BIPOC girl interested in STEAM. Okay. Because a lot of times that's the conversation is like, oh, there's not enough girls who are interested in this. There are.
3: Right. And also, I (laughs) super love that you're saying STEAM instead of STEM because I feel like arts and architecture, the A is usually left out. No, we gotta be science, technology, engineering, arts or architecture, and math. Not,
1: yeah. It's super important. And they all go together. And this shows like how all of those pieces fit and how, you know, they're disciplines within themselves. Right. And how they intersect with each other and how they build this, you know, bigger thing. So, yeah, the design contest, there's no way around the arts and architecture and turning that into the visual, uh, you know, into the metaverse, creating a, you know, augmented reality situation that is not comical. That's one of my big things. I don't want to make it a cartoon or a video game. It has to be photorealistic Mm -hmm. because I don't want that to be what the vibe. Yeah. You know, so it's That's just fair. like doing all of that where, you know, so STEAM is, well, people are like, you mean STEM? No, I really do mean STEAM, like legit STEAM. We're writing a right. book. We're doing, you know, arts, architecture, humanities, you know, DNA. Like we're hitting all of, you know, the engineering. We're currently in the process of creating a partnership with UCSD and their engineering program mm-hmm. to help deal with the augmented reality portions of the museum. So it's really... Like a lot of STEAM teaching is like pseudo STEAM, in my right. opinion, where okay. they just use that as a tagline for funding. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, we're STEAM. Like,
3: oh, what part? You know, right. okay. <laughs> but
1: no, this is like,
3: yeah, this is holistically <laughs> involving all the things. And I feel like the more layers as we keep talking, I'm just kind of like, this really is all connected. And it seems at first it's like so disparate, but it's like, no, that all makes perfect sense and how it all evolved from the DNA to the drones to all of it. So well done to like pull this together. I'm so grateful that you're doing the work Thank that you're doing. You.
1: Thank you. Like I say, I am glad to meet you and to have you as part of the brain trust. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs>
0: absolutely.
1: Because, you know, like I say that's been the biggest thing too, is like, you know, admitting like, I don't know how I'm gonna do any of risk, mm-hmm. but we're gonna get it done. We're gonna yeah. find there are people out there who are interested and can build and who will support and it's time. We're always looking to extend our network of partners. And so reaching out if you you know have a youth program or if there's a skill set discipline that you're like, hey, I have time, I'm interested. I'm you know Zooming and taking messages and emails. I answer all my own emails and Zoom still. So we haven't gotten big enough to, <laughs> to have any help. So you will get directly to me. And I'm just really excited for, you know, where we're going and open to where, you know, different people might have different, you know, skill sets that they can bring to this to continue to expand what we're doing. You know, Follow us, share the mission, support financially. We're open. Ideas, support. It's a community effort. It doesn't work. It doesn't live in a silo. And it's only going to work with the work of the community. And as a grassroots effort, not being distracted or discouraged by any of the the reasons why we shouldn't be doing it. People are like, well, how are you going to pay for that? I don't know. (laughs) But (laughs) it's going to happen. Like, you know, to not let that put a roof on the dream. We'll catch it as we go. We'll figure it out. Right. And... Does any help in doing that? Because they have, right now, the biggest thing is financial to be able to, you know, hire some staff to help because that'll allow us to increase our, our impact and to stay with them. I already set a timeline. This is releasing July 29th of 2023, which people were like, are you sure? Yeah. They're like, I don't
3: know. So wait, what's but releasing the 29th of July?
1: The museum and our first history book. All of it. Okay. Yes. All of it. The 29th. a whole event. Yes. So. Love it you securing the venue for that, creating partnerships to be kind of the DEI for STEAM mm-hmm. in San Diego. So working with, you know, corporations, that's the other thing is corporate social responsibility programs, those who are truly in any of the industries that we are in. So that's, you know, architecture, genomics, design. So just things like that, anything that will help in the development of the museum, we've gotten annual passes, you know, to the Pablo Park Museum. So we can go there. We do market research. We study the museums and whose voices are listed, whose voices aren't, you know, how does it make you feel? Let's design these experiences, starting to really delve into the science of, you know, museum science, like legit doing that, that level of work and exposing these girls to all that and showing them how you can be an entrepreneur you can be into arts. You can be into science, and girls are and it has, and now it's just like creating this little movement that I feel that um, is what we need. And then you're kind of like thinking, like, I can't believe really nobody thought of this before. But then I realize why, because it is so many pieces, and it does require you to be real transparent in what you don't know, mm-hmm. <laughs> generally. <laughs> Right. That's not a space like usually. I like to know something about what I'm doing before I get there, and I just walk
3: in like, "Girl, I have no idea." <laughs> right. The level <laughs> of vulnerability required to make something like this happen.
1: <laughs> yeah, just be really honest. Like, you tell me this is what you do. Like, I know what I want it to look like. How we get it, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then you know, starting to deal with some of those realities. But I think that also has been kind of like the superpower of not already having those roadblocks not having steam identity not having any of these things just having the dreams of you know what i want this to look like and we'll
3: figure it out thank you so much for listening links to amazing resources can be found in the episode's show notes special thanks to sarah gilberg for allowing me to use snippets of her song fireflies from her debut album other people's secrets which by the way is available wherever music is sold If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to the show. And now that Tangible Remnants is part of the Gable Media Network, you can listen and subscribe to all network partner content at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. Until next time. Remember that historic preservation is a present conversation with our past about our future. We don't inherit the earth from our parents, but we borrow it from our children. So let's make sure we're telling our inclusive history.
2: I saw the first fireflies of summer, and right then, I thought of you.
3: Oh, I could see us catching them, and setting them free. Honey, that's what you do, that's what you do to me.